0: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, Sara Tangora
1: and Bobby Comforto. Um Hi, folks. Welcome to another weird week of life. <laughs> um, it is summer, and hopefully some of you are able to take what... There is there in terms of being able to find a little bit of enjoyment and relaxation, and if you're not able to do that, we are with you and wishing you well. We're wishing everybody well, no matter where you're at, and we have a really wonderful episode today. Our guest today is Scotty Jeanette Madden. Scotty, oh man, what to even say about Scotty? Scotty's amazing. <laughs> we had a beautiful chat with Scotty, and uh, the cool thing is that we had been recording up until this point um with audio only interviews and we tried a new platform and we were able to do video chat with Scotty and I felt really great to get back to being able to just I don't know it was you know of course being in the room with people is the best possible scenario but just being able to to see her and connect with her visually as well as you know chatting with her um virtually was really really great so um, That was one factor that contributed to making this episode special, our first in-person interview in a while, well, virtually in person. But um, also, Scotty is just an amazing woman. Um, we really loved, 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 loved our chat. We laughed, we cried, and uh, it was incredible. So Scotty is a TV writer, director, producer, and showrunner. Uh, she is also the author of Getting Back to Me, From Girl to Boy to Woman in Just 50 Years, Reckless in the Kitchen, A Year of Light, Laughter, and Love, and Oh, Food, which is a beautiful cookbook and love letter to her, her wife, um, Marcy, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago from a long battle with ovarian cancer. Marcy had been the author of a, another beautiful book called Just Because My Husband's a Woman, Marcy Side of the Story, and we chatted with Scotty uh, about... A variety of things about the loss of marcy um about what that meant for her uh in terms of rebuilding life and finding new routines um you know cooking was one of those routines uh scotty as i mentioned before wrote a beautiful cookbook called reckless in the kitchen and so food was a big part of their lives together um we talked about you know their experience with uh scotty's transition and um just a really wonderful, deep, beautiful conversation and vulnerable and honest and raw. Um, I hope that you guys, we hope, Bobby, I will speak for Bobby. <laughs> uh, we hope that you enjoy our conversation with Scotty as much as we did. And uh, we also just, again, hope you're hanging in out there. Um, times are weird. You're not alone in feeling that it's weird, you know, and if one day is great and the next day is really fucked up that's fine that's normal um you can always reach out to us at processing at heritageradionetwork.org we would love to hear from you if you just need someone to kind of talk to and reach out to um if you need mental health resources we'd be happy to provide those uh if you want to write in a listener letter that we could read on the air if you have questions comments or would like to be a guest on an upcoming episode of processing all you got to do, reach out, processing at org or Processing Podcast on Instagram, and we can uh, chit-chat on there. Um, also, you know, Heritage Radio is working hard as always and harder than ever to bring you really high-quality, uh, in-depth, beautiful, caring, loving food radio, and please support them. You can find out how to do so at org. becoming a member, donating. Um, great thing to participate in and to support so we hope you enjoy our conversation with scotty um scotty thank you so much we love you so so such a treat you are a gift to this world okay enjoy this part of the episode so we've just had uh, one of those kind of classic I think 2020 trying to do something technologically moments getting this interview started and uh, we I feel like now we know each other really well Scotty (laughs) do you think like I feel like I've known you for years (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, I've heard your your range of expletives, so that's cool. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: uh. Yeah, we were like starting and we couldn't see Scotty, but she could see us. And I was like, did I fuck the time up? Did I fuck up the time? And then like I get an email from Scotty saying, you did not fuck up the time. And I was like, this is an amazing way to start this. So now we're all good friends already. And welcome to the, to, to the show,
2: Scotty. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, it's a real pleasure. You're joining us from San Diego, California. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's actually lovely. Cardiff by the Sea.
1: Ooh, Cardiff by the Sea. Amazing. Amazing. So how are you you doing during this time in life, during this strange time that we're all going through? Uh,
2: I feel like I'm um, managing okay. Um, I have a good support system around me. And, um, you know, it's just, I think I'm... I'm so raw on so many levels um, that it's almost you can't surprise me anymore. Yeah. I'm kind of shocked by that part. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm not surprised by any of this, you
1: know. Yeah. That's interesting you say that because uh, at the beginning when all this happened, I've talked to a couple of other people who've experienced times of deep grieving. And, you know, in my own life, my dad had passed a couple years ago and a bunch of other kind of really unsavory things unfolded at the same time. And so when the pandemic hit and everything started kind of really going off the rails, I spoke to a couple of people who I know in the you know grief community and being like, what you don't know when you're in those times of deep grief and insanity is that it does prepare you for times like this. So where you're not like, yeah, not as thrown off by an insane twist of wrench in the yeah. game.
2: Yeah, It's not, it's never as bad as what we've gone through. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're
3: Except down. Oh, go ahead, Bobby. I was just going to say, and sometimes you feel like with the rest of the world, and now you see what it's like. Now you see what we've been going through, or what yeah. I've been going through. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah,
4: yeah. For right,
1: sure. and kind of brings us all to a little bit being on more on the same kind of human, like leveled playing field in some way. Um, yeah. Scotty. So you're uh, you grew up down in the San Diego area, right? You were born down
2: there. I grew up in Southern California. Yes, yeah. I was. I was born in San Diego, and you can hear my dog Bella barking. Hey, that doggy! <laughs> That's
1: cool. That's awesome. Welcome to the yeah, show. I was, so
2: I was. I was. I was born here, and then I was raised uh, in the mountains of Southern California. Here, not too far, about you know, two hours to the north, and then my career in Hollywood, um, in Los Angeles, I've lived in Los Angeles for the last thirty years. So. Mm. 25 years so yeah
1: wow wow amazing and what was the family structure like growing up like you know
2: brothers and sisters mom dad like... I'm the oldest of of uh, of four girls um and um I lost my mother when I was in college uh to uh cerebral hemorrhage oh. uh, which was nasty and you know involved lots of hospital time and then lost my father very quickly uh When he was 57, so that was about 17, 18 years ago.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, And, um, no, that's not. It was 24 years ago because he used to remind me he's 24 (laughs) years older than me and I just (laughs) turned 58. Oh, (laughs) wow. Wow. Yeah. So. Um, um, What was
1: your relationship with, like, them, though? Like, did you guys have, were you guys a close family?
2: Like, what was. We were very close. We were very close. Yeah. Um, You know, um, uh, I feel like a lot of certainly who I am today is a direct result of who they were particularly in relationships you know my parents were uh, I, I I was because I was the oldest I was privy to both my mom and dad's you know tensions with each other yeah. <laughs> I, I knew each side of the story very well um, and I can remember like my father would say like you know, he'd get really hot and heated as he would say and he would go for a walk and I would join him on some of these walks and he would rant and rave and like I'm just gonna you know freaking leave and I'm like who are you kidding and he's like what do you mean who are you kidding I'm like you're not leaving like you (laughs) wouldn't do that and he's like how do you know so much about me I'm like (laughs) duh I'm your oldest like you know and 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 he was you know he would always surrender because he knew he was right it was like marriage is about working it out it's not a you, you'd never you, that's not an option there's no chicken exit or escape hatch you know yeah. you got to stay in and figure out whatever it is that's uh, needs a you know working out so and another case think, of
3: the kids being smarter than the parents well that's you, always you true you knew right? right yeah
2: exactly <laughs> yeah. my father used to always say I can't wait for you to turn 25 because I'm going to get so smart again <laughs> oh that's so funny that's
1: amazing did you guys have like a what was the eating like in your house I mean where people were mom or dad cooks did you guys like have a you know a tradition around the dinner table because I know you like to cook now right obviously you've written a cookbook yeah
2: yeah uh, we were all really good cooks, uh, although my sister, Carrie Jean, was probably the latest bloomer. Um, we used to say that she could burn water, um, <laughs> but she's had to she's had to step up and carry on the family name. Um, my mother was, what my dad would say was, she had the Schmidest touch. She could turn shit into gold, um, which was, a f- uh, you know, it's a, it's a real skill for uh, It is. Old- wife of a car salesman who, you know, was feast or famine a lot of the time, so yeah. she kept us on budget and on track. It was, everything was from scratch, but 70s scratch, you know, yeah. which was uh, kind of a weird era for food in America, totally. so she at least kept, you know, uh, I never ate a, um, a canned vegetable except for green beans. We didn't, they didn't seem to, green, fresh green beans didn't <laughs> seem to exist in the 70s, I don't know why that happened. <laughs> totally, totally. And, um, but my dad was very experimental oh, cool and um he had a also short attention span theater so he would come home with like a french provincial you know cookbook and we would have it all weekend long and then never have it again wow <laughs> wow that's so amazing
1: that's interesting and so you kind of just like adopted your love of cooking from that time like did you like touch base with that early on in life? Because sometimes, you know, people who grew up in food families, I find they can either just be like, yeah, I really loved it. It was great. Or some folks are like, you know, I, I, it inspired me so much and I never let it go. Like, did you continue to cook forever? Did you just kind of have an appreciative memory of that part of your life?
2: Oh, no, no. I I was all the way through high school, you know, I was cooking for my friends. Um, My parents were Really liberal, and uh, you know, I can I can out them now because they're yeah. not all around to defend themselves. But <laughs> you know, there was some underage drinking. I am Irish. Okay, and we do we do follow that <laughs> tradition totally. Um, and so they they were their philosophy was I would rather have you here and do drinking than out in the world drinking. And you know, of course, driving was for, absolutely forbidden, especially on a mountain road. So totally, all the all my friends would knew that they could have beer at, at, Scotty's house. And so I would always cook big barbecues for us and mm, kind of make it a little bit more. I bought, I don't know. I just always love the hot idea of entertaining. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I've just, I've done it all my life and, uh, my cooking style was a lot more. As my father would say, blunt force trauma back then. (laughs) (laughs) So it got a little bit more finesse over time as I matured.
1: That's amazing. Well, you wrote a cookbook called Reckless, spelled R-A-C-K-L-A-S-S, in the kitchen: a year of light, of light laughter, love, and oh, food. And so, how did that? How did that come about?
2: Well, um, it's actually my second book, um, and. i had been collecting recipes for a while i knew i did want to write a cookbook i always wanted to um but i never really you know aside from collecting recipes i didn't really catch a hook until i wrote my first book and then i realized i needed a follow-up to it mm. and um what was what one of the the general um critiques of my book was that that it followed a love story Mm. And it wasn't just the love story of Marcy and I, but also the love story of all of the people around us for us and us for them and etc. Yeah, yeah. um, and so um, I thought, well, that's a good hook. You know, my premise is uh, love is the most important ingredient, um, mm. but the love that you have in your heart for a particular person while you're cooking for them mm-hmm. is what makes that dish special parts mm-hmm. of the ingredients. Totally. And to demonstrate that, I... Mm-hmm kind of morphed a narrative drive of a book along it with a cookbook so that you could see that uh, the, this particular month, you know, the chapters are, are based yeah. on, on a calendar year. Um, this is the, the, the dinner party associated with that month, and these are the people coming over for that dinner party, and mm. here's how I'm practicing what I'm preaching, yeah. you know, right. loving them as including for them.
4: Really what I
2: didn't know when I was writing it was that I was actually documenting the last year of our life together. Mm, yeah. So, spoiler alert, uh, it's the only cookbook that should come with a box of Kleenex. Mm,
1: yeah, it's, it's just, I can't wait to read it. It's so beautiful, and as I was reading, you know, people's writings of the book and... Uh, I, I, I couldn't. I can't wait to read it myself. It, it sounds absolutely amazing because that tie of really, of you know, heart and soul and cooking is so, is so important and something that you know we talk about in kind of a surfacey way of like, you cook with love, but really, like you really do cook with love, and it's so intimate. I actually and you have a pour really yourself into your food. Yeah, I have a absolutely. great book that someone gave me called "Cooking as Courtship," which I love mm-hmm. too, and I, I, I'll share the link with our listeners and with you, but. Um, can you tell us a bit about that love story that you're mentioning about what,
2: about what your book is about? Um, uh, so for 48 years, which would be the 20 year mark of our marriage, Mm -hmm. the world thought that I was a man. Um, I didn't have language like a lot of uh, transgender people have today to describe what was going on. And and um, I just knew from the time that I was four years old that I should never tell anybody that I was actually a girl
4: because
2: mm. I would get hit uh, and not by my parents. I, I mean, you, know, you asked about my relationship with my parents. I look back on it now and think... If they had known what was going on with some a trusted person in our family who was my babysitter, yeah um, none of this would have happened, <laughs> but it did um, and um so I tried my best you know to 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 be the the best boy I could yeah. to make everybody proud because you get props when you make people proud of you and happy, and so i I did my best um And I fell in love with Marcy. Um, And I tried to do my best for her, too, because she expected me to be the guy that she saw on the outside. And I never, ever, ever dreamed I would ever transition. Um, I just didn't think it was possible. It would have been easier to sprout wings and fly to the moon Mm. than it would be to transition. But one uh, fateful morning... um, 20 years into our marriage life is going as good as it has ever been. I' just we just bought our dream house. I my career is soaring. I'm becoming what's called a showrunner in uh, nonfiction and reality television, which means I am the executive producer in charge of everything. yeah making you know um, I've been spending I've been developing my career on two tracks at that time um, adventure filmmaking and uh writing um so the adventure resume just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and people wanted me to take their television productions to international places that are difficult to shoot in and i got good at it um so we were all this good stuff was happening but my gender dysphoria which is a weird word um it, but but the bottom line is and not all trans people uh, experience this but mine was severe uh, right. it was debilitating about once a month um, would just literally take over my life and I would have to I developed all kinds of coping mechanisms and I would just I had to quiver and I would just pull out a ne- the next arrow when one wasn't working I'd try something else mm. to just contain it and keep it together that's an interesting
1: um, way of putting it <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah um, and so the hardest part was, was having this while I was with Mars you know um, sometimes the most intense and wonderfully romantic times of our life would have this cloud over it that I would spend all my time trying to keep that cloud away because truly I was almost all of me when I was in her arms Yeah, except for this piece that I would always try to keep at bay and I did a really good job of that because she never knew anything about it. She thought I was one of the most manliest men around, and yet I was also the the ultimate husband because all of her girlfriends wanted to clone me or at least mm. have me train their husbands you know yeah and it was you know it's easy i I know what women want mm-hmm. <laughs> I have one, you know yeah, so um it wasn't it wasn't hard to make her the centerpiece of my life because my life was going to be lived in another lifetime, um, as who I am instead of, and that's what I thought. I, I mean, I really started to think I'm going to earn my womanhood next go around by just being the absolute best husband I can this time to Mars. Mm-hmm. Well, all that came crashing down despite my best efforts in one morning. Well, actually it was about a two week period that led to, um, Uh, A a complete breakdown, but it wasn't, I I didn't, I don't know what a breakdown is. I've had a mental toughness my entire life, certainly because of, I'm sure the coping mechanisms I described, Uh, but when they all failed all at once, I didn't even know they had failed. I just knew that, uh, you know, I'm now suddenly standing in front of Marcy uh, at about five o'clock in the morning holding two cups of coffee that I've apparently made because okay. I'm the one who's up and she's still in bed <laughs> yeah. and I come to with her going what's up with you and I'm and it just came out wow. and it like I, I could I was trying to take it back even as it was coming out um, could,
3: thank goodness right
2: right now yeah, it's divine yeah, you know yeah, at the yeah. time it was horrifying but you were holding
3: I, it in all that time it was so
1: hard
2: yeah and, what and, and did I that didn't,
3: feel
1: like for you being able to actually I mean I'm imagining just from how you've told us about what it felt like to be in that body previously what would what, what was that like looking back on that moment of finally like being honest about your authentic self and who you really were like how does that feel when you think back about it like the, well, first it was feeling. horrifying.
2: Yeah. You know, it was truly horrifying because it was a complete loss of control. I, oh, it wasn't yeah. like mm-hmm. I made... There's some people who've had the presence of mind to have a real conscious coming out. And mm-hmm. I eventually got to that place, but it took five years. So right. at first it was like, a, like I could... It was as if the world was on fire and I was throwing gasoline on it rather than mm-hmm. putting out the fire. And mm-hmm. the hardest thing was, was the look on Marcy's face. You know, she was, she was like shocked, devastated in her words. She said, I thought you were having a, a, a midlife crisis. And I thought this was the, I want a Porsche conversation. <laughs> oh my God. And, and frankly, honey, I would have taken the, the, I want a Porsche. I would have bought you a Porsche. If yeah. I, you know. yeah. She did not see it coming. She was not, you know, we were not um, active in the LGBT community. We had several, uh, oddly, when I look around, Eighty percent of our friends just naturally were, one shape, one one stripe of the rainbow flag or another. Yeah. But it wasn't us. You know, we were the we were the gold standard marriage, mm. um, and uh, rightly so. I mean, I love that that place because it gave us the space to be as, as outwardly romantic and as lovey-dovey as I, I need to naturally be. I need to express that to someone. And yeah. um, Marcy was. And you know, I received that from Marcy in the same way. So I didn't want to destroy that. I didn't want to st- destroy her. I didn't. I didn't. You know, once my brain kicked in, going, "What have you done?" It's like, "What about your career?" You know, how you, all of my peers are really either super, super butch girls or manly boys, yeah, but mostly military-grade survival experts, you know, right. are they going to listen to a trans woman? I don't yeah. think so, you know, they're, yeah. they they do not listen to women. They're not, certainly not going to listen to a trans totally. woman. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and, and Mars was devastated, you know, yeah. she, she went through the gamut of things too. She tried to have me cured with her homeopath, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, she, oh. she went, she was not, her marriage was on the line. Well, she, she was using same. her coping mechanisms too, I'm sure, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, no shade on her whatsoever. You know, I, I want people to know how hard it was for mm-hmm. her.
3: It was traumatic so for both can... of you, what a
2: moment you, yeah. yeah, Yeah, so cut to, I mean, we took five years before we told anybody else. I mean, I went to therapy and we tried to go to couples therapy together, which was a joke because the first time... She she picked the therapist. She thought, you know, ha I'll get an ally on this, which, yeah. you know, I, who blames her? Um, but so the therapist she picks actually turned to her at one point and said, well, when are you just going to get in touch with your inner lesbian? And the <laughs> oh. word lesbian is a charge mm. word for Marcy because mm. her entire life she had several traumatic experiences where people thought she was, and she suffered the discrimination of it. until she, And she didn't even know what a... Like in boarding school... She got called a lesbian by all the girls in her, in her house, and she like, broke down into tears and said, oh my God, what's a lesbian? <laughs> you know, she came from a Yankee blue blood family that had no idea what one was, right? Yeah. So anyways. Um, I turned to the therapist and, and I got like suddenly protective of her. You know, I, I turned back into the husband and went like, how dare you talk to her that way? We're wow. out of here. You yeah. know? And he stormed out. <laughs> oh, he can't talk to you that way. You know, oh so uh, oh, yeah. it's funny. is it yeah, When you look back funny. now,
3: it was quite a statement that that therapist made.
2: Kind of. But, although yeah. you know, the, the one thing that we, we uh, she said, look, I we have dear friends who are lesbians. And I'm not, I'm just not one of them. So, you know, and I had to go, well, she's given me all the room in the world to define myself. I have to give her the room to define herself. She says, I'm a, totally. you know, I, I, cause I would tell people, I, I don't even know what my sexuality is. I know I'm a Marcy sexual. That's what, and she, right. so she started saying, well, let's just say that, you know?
4: Yeah.
2: So yeah. Th- that's that, that because I, so she really did do the work, but she had to come down to her side of the story. It was in her book she writes about it was that she had to realize that what we know about gender and roles is largely taught to us and when we got down to who we were the two of us realized that it was we were in love with each other not with a body totally you you know
1: and that's amazing work to be able to do and a testament to your real bond and love with each other because i think it is so easy just to like use what society has taught us you know defines a man a woman a relationship sexuality everything and just the initial shock i there's no judgment what anyone's reaction to anything is in their own romantic relationships like i don't i can't imagine it must have been a a shocking thing for her to deal with at the time but you know when you it is really admirable and again a testament to what the relationship you guys had and continue i'm sure even after her passing like have is is that like it takes it takes a lot to push past what's been shoved down our throats as quote right wrong acceptable oh i could never live through this i would never tolerate this you know what i mean and get and really focus on the fact that you guys had this intense love for each other's intense relationship and i think that's really beautiful
2: yeah yeah and really
1: amazing
3: society tells us a lot of things about a lot of things and part of growth is really looking at those things honestly and deciding if that's who you are that's you know right that's authenticity to to be who Absolutely. you really are
2: yeah. yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah i mean you know for me it was like i had to push away what all the society thought and just like keep my focus on her right um that so that was my salvation along the way um
1: and so yeah. the, you, you guys are going to therapy then like, how does, how does this continue to prog- uh, progress, Like, it seems like you,
2: well, it was funny cause she kept asking me like, you know, how are you doing with your, and we would both stop with the at, filling out the last of that line just cause it was, she didn't want to trigger me. And, yeah. and I would say to her, you know, well, it's like a, a boat on a distant horizon. I can see the boat. I know the boat's out there, but so far it hasn't come into the dock. Was how yeah. I explained to her. Um, until I had to start telling her hey that that ship is is not sailing it's got me on it and I'm <laughs> I, you know the once it came out and started to get, grow out and grow out and grow out it was like I can't put this back in the box yeah and so after about five years of us working together and mind you at this point my career is now really skyrocketing and I am uh, I'm on the road 215 days of a year. Wow,
4: wow. And
2: I am trying to, sw- because I do have some control over the schedule, I'm either trying to swing into LA to be with her for a short period of time or grab her and bring her to Denver, Colorado, which is where the production company was based, or bring her out to to location, whatever I can do to keep us together because, you know, mind you, and this is a part I skipped over, three months after I came out to her was when she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. Part of that five years of us before we came out to everybody was was going, okay, I know, we know that this is in the house, but but, okay, cool. Let's work on you, though. Let's work on cancer. Let's figure this thing out. And the beginnings of her journey was the traditional things that you've seen in every after school special about cancer. you know, the first rounds of chemo, um, lost her hair and, you know, Herdow. but we got through that. Um, she's just heroic. There's, yeah. there's no more courageous person that's ever lived because she stayed in joy while it was all going on. Mm. Um, Then after it kind of settled out and ovarian cancer does have a, the initial, you know, blunt force trauma that medicine uses against it, usually keeps it at bay for a couple of years Mm -hmm. and you can kind of get fooled. You can kind of go, well, maybe, maybe we beat this. Um, So that's when we started to kind of turn back our attention to my transition or whatever it was going to be. And I came so about about the five year mark. I came home. I just I I said you know I'd been in, I'd been in Alaska, been in eight countries in on four continents in three months, and then I was, um, oh I'm sorry, I was in Hawaii and then all that and then Alaska and I came home in like the beginning of December and I just through my clothes all my adventure clothing which was about seven thousand dollars worth of expedition grade parkas (laughs) and boots and shit that I've been accumulating over years and I said I can't do it anymore I just I I I can't I it's I can't do this and I meant dress as a boy you know I just can't I just can't and she goes okay well what does that mean I go I I got to do this for real and one thing we'd learned along the way was anytime I tried to, like, experiment a little bit or, or you know, even just, like, express by myself without her being in lockstep with her about it, it was a problem.
4: <laughs>
2: and the problem was I was pushing her out. The problem was, not she was having a problem with the transition. When I included her in those things, she was the one who took me to Claire's to get my ears pierced. Aww. She was the one who sat with me with the hairdresser as my hair, you know, could get more in a regular hairstyle, mm. not a janky-ass boy one. <laughs> um, that's when we were able to make steps forward when she was included sense. in it. As a married person, I feel like, Mm -hmm. why did it... It took me 20 years to figure that shit out. That's so powerful. That's really... Yeah. Yeah.
1: It is powerful because it speaks to, you know, again, just like, what is... If we really look at what's threatening to us in marriage and relationships and stuff like that, right? Like, is it actually that know Our partner would want to transition, or is it that our partner is doing something without us, that we're not included in? You know what I mean? That's so like, yeah. we'll,
3: we'll abandon us, we'll somehow right. leave, it's, you know. And yeah. then I think yeah. when you can tap
1: in in the way that, like, you guys that you folks were able to, um, to where what the actual pain, where it's really coming from, you're able to kind of still have this beautiful relationship. I'm just really impressed by that. So, so she took it, lo- to, it's a love story. Uh, it's a real, it's beautiful. It's really, truly, like, really touching and really beautiful. So she, so you, you, you folks found out that when uh, she was included with the parts of your transitioning, that it, it felt safer for her.
2: Yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. uh, and, and to your point, what I, it took me the, you know, five years, of f- five point f- five years <laughs> to figure yeah. out, was when I said to her, I am a woman, She heard, I am leaving you. Right. And I, when, when that light bulb finally went on in my head, then there was never anything that, you know, it was like, we talked about everything all the time, 24 seven together, except that, like, what was I thinking? You know? So, um, so then that's when we started to shift gears. So I, you know, um, that Christmas was the first Christmas for Scotty Jeanette. And, Mm. um, that's when we came out to the family. Um, her, she has three brothers and two of them were, um, uh, coming to Christmas (laughs) Mm. and one, one of the, uh, her brothers uh, has two daughters. And so I had to do the formal, you know, I called it the, the five minute heads up and then the, And then the disclosure. So with Mm -hmm. a five minute heads up was like, Hey, we're going to have this talk and I'm just warning you, I'm going to look a lot more feminine than the last time you saw me. And as before they could say, what does that mean? I would hang up. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to like, you know, I'm a, I'm also a director and a writer. I was was just going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm going to capitalize on (laughs) that. So, uh, that was a magical Christmas. Wow. and, And then it started everything from there. Um,
1: so your fan yeah. both your families, uh, it was a, it was well received. You're, you're coming out.
2: Yeah, it, you know, uh, it, the, the boys were relieved because mm. they said that it took the pressure off them to be such a good husband. I'm like, that's not the <laughs> lesson. That is not the lesson, like such a dude, right? Fucking oh, man, honestly, like, <laughs> that's their takeaway here. And you have daughters, you know, don't yeah, you want the best for them? Totally. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, everybody, you know, we, we've had the, the bumps and grinds along the way, but there are the natural bumps of like people who, because you know, Marcy was the only daughter of, of four children and everybody thought I was the only son of four children. So right. they used to always love that symmetry.
4: Sure.
2: Um, in fact, Marcy's mother said, um, you know, I have four boys and one's a girl mm. and she used to say that to Marcy all the time. And so Marcy would repeat that. And one day she said that. And I said, yeah, well you had four husbands and one's a girl. <laughs> so... <laughs> love that. Yeah. So yeah the they they've been very accepting um you know what's odd is that because I've been such a closeted uh feminist <laughs> um <laughs> for all those years I've been a keen observer I'm also as I'm a writer and a director I'm also like a I've made it my business to study, you know, humans. Yeah. You, you, you humans are quite fascinating. <laughs> totally. um, and so the, the little things along the way that really show acceptance is like sometimes how I'm now excluded by my friends from the boys ski trip. You know, right. I, I confronted a friend. I've actually started this annual ski trip with a bunch of guys that I went to college with and, and studied TV. And we're all still really close. They still go every year. Um, and I, I said, hey, I, I used to get all the emails about like the ski trip. Are you guys going? He goes, yeah, we go we, we go next Friday. And I go, well, I, I, how come I don't know that? And he goes, you're a chick. And he said it was such like mm. finality. Yeah. And, and I really felt this wall just. That's just, you know,
1: society feel, beliefs. Did it yeah. feel, like, I'm wondering, though, did it feel good in some way that their friends were, like, recognizing you? As, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean,
2: it's a, it's a really conflicting, because part yeah. of me is like, yeah. you misogynistic bastards. Yeah, like, totally. Really? Right. Yeah. But and also, thank hand, you like,
1: for recognizing who I am. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, it's I, complicated. You know,
2: I, when I give talks, uh, you know, to, uh, I do a lot of speaking to corporations, and, yeah. And university is about, you know, transgender uh, life and experience. Uh, I have to carve out space for the rest of my siblings who don't like things one way or the other. But I'm an old school girl raised in the 70s. I love being mammed. Yeah. I love being called sweetheart. I You know, I don't if if he's super cute and he pats my ass, <laughs> they better come with a drink. <laughs> we've had a couple together. <laughs> you, know, but, you know, I I, um, I don't. I those things are the little tiny markers that do say acceptance, yeah. and um, so you know.
1: That's a, that's very interesting but, way of putting it. Um, the uh, markers that mark that mark
3: acceptance. Yeah. Huh. So what happened with Marcy? How was she doing with her cancer? Well, at that
2: yeah. Uh, what you know, we had. Three years at that point... Two years of just really intense... Now that we're out... Like, she went with me to... Now, Scotty'sdale, Arizona... For... Mm. um, Gender-affirming surgeries. Stayed in the... In the... uh, I mean, we were nine days in the hospital. She was my Mm. best nurse... And my greatest ally. And then... (laughs) You know, we... Had to rediscover our intimacy. um, And... Again, that was best when done together,
4: yeah
2: um, and we did um, so there's a happy ending there um, and she was she really embraced our advocacy work um, and then uh, you know that was good until two thousand Christmas of two thousand seventeen she got a cold
4: mm-hmm.
2: um, but we had also been kind of in and out of some of the more, um, experimental therapies. Um, she'd been going through Kaiser oncology and she had a gynecological oncologist that she, that was her kind of her primary doctor. Um, and she loved her. And so she got her into some clinical trials of things, but it was really because we were starting to run out of options in chemo. Um, and I think we were kind of Hoping that because we were in a clinical trial, that meant that it was good. Um, But Mm -hmm. we were, the the, the numbers really weren't working in our favor. And then that December at Christmas time, she got a cold. It developed into pneumonia pretty quickly in the first months of January. And then we were on the fast track to transition. I was not working. I, you know, the dirty little secret is that once i transitioned professionally um i was no longer sought after as an adventure mm, filmmaker that's so awful. Mm-hmm. that was heartbreaking but Ugh. but i had to worry about her health mm-hmm. and i had to worry about our mortgage mm-hmm. and so my life and our life became about those things mm-hmm. so i didn't have time to fight <laughs> for gender balance and equality um, Totally. And, and, uh, I had to focus on her and her health, um, which meant that you know some of the, the the side issues surrounding her cancer was like her it really affected her lungs, and she had um, you know without getting gory um, we had to drain her lungs at home i was I was the drainage nurse <laughs> um, so i couldn 't really go far away anyways right. um and i had a couple of jobs that i was able to kind of do from the house um editing jobs i had one job where i was working for the writers guild in fact at Zara, that was when we first met and yes. i was i i helped develop a showrunners workshop
4: oh, amazing! Um, that
2: we and and i was one of the trainers of it we developed it with five other showrunners and we we were offering it and That was the July before the October that she passed Mm -hmm. and so because I had been on such an intense process with her I had done what became, people use um, Circle of Friends, is that it? Yes. there's different caring apps yeah. that help you schedule it out well i had right. done that like caring I bridge had, and those kinds yeah, of things Yeah, right? I, I invented my own that, that luckily someone stepped in later on and helped and <laughs> me that but first i <laughs> i set up a whole schedule of people to be with her all day long and then at that point they just need she just needed company she didn't need necessarily yeah. care because we right. could have the nurse a uh, nurse come from the hospital to take over what i did but Just someone to be with her so she was alone so I could go away and make some money. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was at a breaking point emotionally. I had been trying to be so strong for her. I never wanted to. Positive energy and positive thinking had been really her best chemo. Mm -hmm. So if she saw that I was losing it, then Mm -hmm. I could tell her I'm losing it. And I would go downstairs, but I didn't have to like... You know, so I, yeah. I learned our lesson through transition to not keep that from her, but I also was not about to do it around her yeah. and create that. I wanted the, the space always to be peaceful and healing around her. So when I got to New York, I literally crashed. I had, was staying with a friend of mine, and I just luckily he works nights, so he was you know away the whole time, and I'm in him because I was in the living room of his apartment crying for. 14 hours straight. I just had held it together for so long that I just, yeah. and that's all I did. I was like face down in bed crying. And two very important people in our life um, were actually hospice nurses. Wow. And they had recently moved from our neighborhood to New York. Um, and um, <laughs> um, hi, Banu. Hi, Gunti. Hi. They're phenomenal women, and um, they had stayed really involved, even though they were afar. So I called them. Actually, they called me, and I just confessed where I was. Uh, so that was July when I got back home. So I was gone for ten days. Marcy said, "Never again," mm-hmm. yeah. and, and 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 that you know. That was her way of telling me, We it, now life is too precious, it's tight, right. We, we don't have time. Right. So that shook me, but I got my, you know, feces cohesive as they say, so I could <laughs> carry on. And um, in September, Banu and Kunti came out to visit, and uh, Kunti... They brought a whole bunch of gifts from the people that... The, Marcy used to work for a foundation, a nonprofit foundation. And so all the people in that foundation had known they were coming to see us. And so they'd sent a bunch of gifts. And so they brought a whole bunch of love to Mars. And they brought a message to me. And Kunti grabbed me by the shoulders and said, You had better get ready. Yeah. So That's a hard. Yeah. A hard message. That's what
3: hospice nurses do. <laughs> That's
2: right. They're they really, talk about they, the
3: truth. They talk about what is.
2: You know. No other doctor is as good as they it's are.
3: Absolutely. Doctors they, often don't talk about
2: it. Yeah, they know. They mm. know to the minute when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm, so, do. even though they weren't our official hospice mm. nurses, it did mean that we were starting to. Mm venture into that world and that was pretty much after that is when marcy asked her um oncologist at what point does somebody stop taking chemo mm-hmm. big and questions her oncologist, her oncologist said when you start to value quality over quantity yeah. and marcy said i'm there and i mm-hmm. felt mm-hmm. the world stop mm. So um, Mm. we were then on the fast track. It was October 6th is when she passed.
3: What year, what is this, this past year, 2019?
2: No, 2018. 2018, yeah. Yeah, so, and what was odd was that was when some friends did set up the Circle of Friends Mm -hmm. site, and we had people coming from Seattle. One of our dearest friends. And she met another friend from Berkeley, and then they drove down, or they flew down together, and that, they took a half an hour shift. <laughs> Just, and so people were coming from all over. When Marcy passed, she had, she was surrounded by about twenty five mm-hmm. of our dearest friends and um, and neighbors in the neighborhood, and I didn't make one phone call. The circle I don't had know gathered. How this, the sounds went out, the,
3: the message it went really out, and the circle gathered. That's a beautiful yep, thing. really yeah. did. I'm sure it meant a lot to help the passing. It's like a threshold. And in yeah. a way, everybody went as far as they could with her and helped yep. go with her. And then she had to go off on her own. But that's a beautiful story. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah.
3: I worked so in hospice sad. for 12 years, so I understand some of the moments that ah. you're talking about. Some of those um, all the different transitions and the, the losses involved with every one of them. You know, each yeah. one involves another loss and you describe so many different losses that you had along the way. And I've
1: such
2: a... Wow. I kind of, uh, I mean, you know, I, if I had to write a loss of somebody so... amazing, I couldn't have written it better. Mm-hmm. Um and for for me for my perspective you know i mean like it was horrifying that i was the one giving her the morphine mm-hmm. that was going to help her leave me mm-hmm. and part of my brain was going what the hell are you doing it's like the other mm-hmm. half is like you can't stop this mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you exactly. you have to you have to help her across now yes. now you have to right. count yeah. down rather than count up mm-hmm. so the right.
1: true the true yeah. meaning of Letting go that, like, we don't really, we can't realize until we've really lost somebody. You know, we can't anticipate that and and try to prepare for it. But that, those moments when you are realizing you're letting go of someone you love so deeply is so confusing, (laughs) honestly. Yeah. It's a paradox. It's not linear. It's not like, it doesn't necessarily make sense. And you see yourself doing these things that you really don't want to do. But, you know, you have to. There's, like, something in you that's, like, no, you must. Like, you must.
3: Like, it's time, you know? Seems yep. like transition is the word of the day. There's so many... Tr- it's a transition. Death is a transition. It's yeah, a different kind... Like, like birth and the transition that you went through. Are you familiar with Mary Oliver? Do you know her poetry? I don't. There's, there's just one little section that is so meaningful to me. She says, In order to live in this world, we must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal... To hold them against our bones as if our very heart depends on it, and when it's time to let go to let go and that's that's that moment of letting go yeah, yeah. so what what has it been like for you since Tell, tell us more about that <laughs>
2: <sighs> um, what's odd is um I'm currently back in the city where I was born. Mm. Um, I mean, it's starting to feel like a Nora Ephron movie. (laughs) 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 It's almost a little too perfect. Totally. Um, I mean, I just sold my home, Mm. our home. Mm, That's big. And um, I made the decision to sell it a week before California went into quarantine lockdown. Right. And uh, it it's, you know, I, I, I joke that it started off as a financial decision. My accountant said, look, you haven't worked in three years. Pretty soon the IRS is not going to fee- know how the hell you and, and it's going to start looking at you for drug charges because there's no <laughs> other way you could have paid your mortgage all this time. You know? I mean, truly speaking, every month I've had to pull a rabbit out of my hat Yeah. Uh, to to pull that off. <laughs> and and he said i just hate for you to lose the equity you have in the house and i was like you know he's kind of right i should kind of look into this Mm -hmm. and then it became clear that that may have been the universe's way of making it palatable but really what i was doing was moving on
1: yeah Mm -hmm. and
2: Mm -hmm. what was crazy was i was doing it all in quarantine so i was completely mm -hmm. alone Mm -hmm. and at Mm -hmm. the very beginning of it in california March is the rainy season especially in Los Angeles Southern California area. February March is always rainy so it was just gloomy dreary rainy Ugh. and I had to pick up every object in our house mm-hmm. hold it in my hands remember when we bought it yeah. go through all of that the sifting and
3: sorting it's part of the it's part of the grieving process it's very powerful
2: yep, my, Cried for a half an hour and then decided stays, goes, or trash. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I kept finding, like, huge landmines. I was going through the back end of uh, the file cabinet. And you know how you can, there's a metal piece that pushes against the the back end of the file cabinet to hold stuff up. Well, it creates a space behind it. And she, I found this plastic bag. And I was like, what the heck is this? I pull it out. It's got every card we received on the day of our wedding,
4: oh.
2: and I'm like, well, I this is not going to stay, but I can't throw it away. It was a gold yeah. mine. That was a little gold yeah. mine
3: you found. Yeah. So
2: I, I lit a fire in the fireplace and I read every one aloud and mm. burned it. A
3: ritual. Yep. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. I think the sifting and sorting is a ritual of grief, and I'm sure that all the countless partners and um, spouses who hear this and and hear you talk about this realize this is such an important part of letting go it's another aspect your family home and what you do with it and absolutely it's really
2: yeah I I I wouldn't have done this if I hadn't been pushed by the sale of the house I would you know I would have I I even told when my accountant first said you got to sell the house I was like are you high we worked (laughs) so hard for that thing and that's the only thing that place was us I'm not leaving that I'm gonna live there forever you know and as I got into it, I realized no you're not you you need to move. You need to go do the next thing whatever it is. I had no idea what it was. And then with the quarantine, it was just like yeah. where are you going to you <laughs> know, you're leaving shelter. You're supposed right. to shelter in place, you know.
3: <laughs> right. So Scotty, this brings this brings up one of the things about our, our podcast about food. How did food come into your experience of grief? And how did it come into the what are you doing now? Like you sold your house. So tell us more about how, you know, your eating has changed during this time. <laughs> and your cookbook.
2: Well, yeah. Um, because one of the things Marsh said to me before she passed, like two days before she passed, she said, and keep Zuzubean going. Mm-hmm. And I was like, of course I'm gonna Zuzu Bean going to keep Zuzubean going. What a silly, wait a minute are you last requesting me? And she just smiled and (laughs) nodded. And I'm like, oh, shit.
1: And Zuzu Bean is your
2: blog. Zuzu Bean is is our publishing company that we built. And um, we've published, you know, my two books and her book um, with it. But it's also the advocacy work and the education that we do. Um, Everything Mm -hmm. is under the Zuzu Bean Mm -hmm. press banner. Um, So because of Reckless, and I, I, you know, um, I... I put out "Reckless" on the day of her passing, on the year, the the Mm -hmm. one-year anniversary of her passing is when I put it out, published Mm -hmm. it, and then I went on a tour, much like we did before. Although other people really jumped in, and I, it was actually coast to coast. I had events in New York, I had events in Seattle, uh, the Wine Country, Mm. and it all culminated in a Christmas event in Los Angeles. Mm so because of that and because it was all without cooking each one of those events i was either really cooking like for the 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 kickoff event was in silicon valley because i had had a great developed a great audience there Mm. i cooked 12 dishes 14 dishes (laughs) including three different cakes and we had 25 people come for a reading and and uh, so I was cooking it and shooting photos of it and using that out on the social media. And, you know, I was, dem- I was putting reckless up on its legs. I was showing everybody that you could be a reckless cook. Love it. Um, you just needed to, like... What does
1: it mean to be a reckless cook?
2: It means uh, you need to be able to play with fire, mm-hmm. run with sharp objects, and be absolutely <laughs> relentless cooking for those you love. All um, right. I,
3: Ooh. I'm obsessed. Yeah. What a motto.
1: We're that definitely is reckless
2: cooks, Bobby yeah. and I
3: yeah
2: <laughs> so yeah so that's what I mean I was cooking 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 um, then going uh, you know after January I was like oh, you gotta chill the F out girl <laughs> you need to slow down <laughs> um, but um, because I had developed a couple of of uh, good friends along the way who were very good like professional chefs um, one of my cohort in the New York area um, is a food blogger and um... hi Anna. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, hi. And uh, their food bloggers are part of a, f- a c- f- collective of food cooks. Mm. I mean, uh, cookbook writers. Okay. Uh, they've written a couple of cookbooks themselves. Are you talking about so Anna that Dunn? Was really fun. Yes.
1: Yes, Anna Dunn. Our mutual who introduced us. I've got ah. yes. I got your email from Anna Dunn because Anna oh. Dunn is a is a friend of mine from like years back.
2: Oh, Anna and yeah. I hit it off. We're definitely siblings from another mother, for yeah. sure. Yeah,
1: Anna's amazing. We um, Anna has been a guest on Processing, one of our, our kind of first guests. Yeah, they're amazing. Yep.
2: Yep. Well, we had a series of talks in New York that were just absolutely <laughs> dreamy and wonderful. We uh, kept promising we were going to cook together, but we at least got to go eat together. So cool. Together. Amazing. Um, so that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and uh, it's been tough to to uh, follow them through COVID. I, we, every once in a while, I'll, I'll send up a flare, and we'll yeah. talk a couple of days after that. So
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, so, yeah, so through meeting people like that, that kept the the dialogue about food going, and one of the best ways is to, like, cook something, shoot a photo of it, and put it up on your social media. So I was really kind of steering towards, okay, what do you do during corona lockdown, is what I was calling it, and I was, you know, trying to stay... Uh, as f- I went through all kinds of phases, I went through like depression era, you know, like take a chicken and do everything you can with that <laughs> <Totally>. chicken <laughs> yeah. and you stock, and you, do, you know, that's like, what Bobby was and, saying. She
1: felt like too, yeah,
2: well, absolutely. Yeah, and the, was, wishbone, yeah. the wishbone, the wishbone, oh, the whole nine <laughs> yards, exactly right. Um, and so that kept me. Um, my cooking tends to be, especially for myself, a little bit more. Um, I guess. Creative is probably an a, a, a inaccurate way, but I I fuse together elements that normally would be um, like American techniques on a Mexican mm-hmm. you know uh, flavor palette kind totally. of thing. I can make a mole in a day, which would piss off every you know grandmother <laughs> <laughs> that I know with like the, that's not mole. Then you know, yeah. Um, but it. Uh, but anyways, I I try to. I try to infuse as much flavor as I can.
3: It sounds um, like you infuse Scotty you know. into it too. As much Scotty as you can infuse in too, uh, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: going to be complicated. It's going to be, uh, but it's going to be done, in, you know, with high flame and a lot of sharp knives flying. Totally.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> are there dishes that um, that you guys used to enjoy together that you feel like are tough to to make now? Like things that you can't, eat anymore, or things that you... Or adversity like, things that you like to make to remember her?
2: Um, here's the thing. I'm the woman today, and I'm the cook today because of Marcy. Um, when I first started off, our... <laughs> even our courtship, I was... I, I called it magical cooking, and that meant that I was actually picturing myself over a flaming cauldron and adding in eye of newt, and you know and, but everything was magical and everything had like you know i was into yeah. like sacred geometry at the time so right, cool. it would always be three jalapenos why three because <laughs> three is the sacred trinity it's like three, three jalapenos is really so really hot <laughs> so after our second year not, not first after our second year of being together marcy said can we have just one dish just one every once in a while without jalapenos i'm like right oh my god i thought you loved it she goes no no you love them i don't I, this stuff's way too hot for me so that's when that's i was so like funny. whoa pull up you know? yeah are you dialing into her or you yeah you're cooking? that's so, a good question yeah, totally. yeah so everything that i cook um is because of her, because of her i you know and sometimes it's anti-her i will confess yeah. like she she got she had her things like it had to be chicken thighs not white meat there's no 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 time for that it's yeah. useless meat uh, <laughs> chicken thigh had to be on the bone i'm like well but these are already off the bone and they're faster and i can whip them up she's like no i don't want it Nice. Like, ah, yeah. So now I'll do a chicken off the bone and go. There you go, bitch. What do you think well, of that? Well that comes <laughs> back
3: to where we that comes back to where we started. Who am I now? You know, that's oh, one yeah. of the questions that people when they so, they lose their spouse or partner, it's like you're so used to combining and melding and adapting and adopting. Right. You know, and then it's like, "Well, who am I now? Am do I, I want it with the bone, the bone or it? without?
2: Or do I like white meat or maybe I don't like chicken?" So. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. Maybe I don't um, like chicken. Yeah. Uh, and, but you know there was other things like uh, techniques like she loved poach eggs when you know towards mm. the the last half of the last year of our life together she couldn't come down well, our bedroom was downstairs we had a big master suite it was a very romantic
0: mm. fireplace the
2: whole nine oh, yards is wow. our sanctuary she couldn't come down the stairs anymore and I tried sleeping on the couch upstairs and I was just getting wrecked um, so I would massage her legs she had really bad edema um, because of the swelling, so our nightly ritual, our intimacy was now me massaging her legs, um, and then I would take my phone and I would go down, and she would she was not sleeping a lot, mm-hmm. and so she would hold out till she absolutely couldn 't stand it anymore, and then she would call me, and I would get calls that regularly she could hold out till four a m mm-hmm. and she'd say i 'm so, so sorry to wake you up but is it too early for poached eggs? I'm like, hell no. <laughs> oh. I'll, do, I'll take any way to get calories into you. you know? oh. So I, I learned to make the, and she was, she just, she just, didn't mean that she had dropped her standards at all. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter it was 4 o'clock in the morning. That had better be spot <laughs> the F on. So I learned how to make the perfect poached egg. And I, that is one of the recipes in, in, of um, course. in Reckless. Because I had to do it flawlessly every time.
3: By the way,
2: can and we call this episode poached eggs? Absolutely. You can. That's the name. Okay, without jalapenos <laughs> and no jalapenos exactly. Right. Yeah, she for sure. Um, you know, and and it was, she would do. You know, she was towards the end. She would have these like incredible moments, and she would just look at me. And she'd go like, I don't know what happened to your cooking? It's gotten <laughs> so much better. <laughs> and it was really because I was making it specifically <laughs> now, mm. specifically for her. There yes, was no Scotty's taste there anymore. I was like, what does yeah. Marcy want? Wow. How do I make it for Marcy completely? Powerful. Mm. So.
0: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
3: Well, you've touched so many different subjects of grief and so many different subjects of transition. And love. And with every every change, there's loss. I always love that. It was one of the first quotes that I learned. You know, with every change, there's loss. And with every loss, there's change. So, so powerful. What an amazing story. And you've shared such intimacy and so so much of you. Vulnerability Um, and
1: just a, yeah, yeah. really beautiful. On every episode, we always like to ask at the end of the chat um, to each guest, if you could have told yourself something at the beginning of this Process, You know, whether it had been at the beginning of, you know, you're deciding to transition or, you know, learning that she was ill or after she passed, whatever the significant marker is for you in, in this scenario, like what would it, what would have that advice been to yourself?
2: Um, you will... Do this.
3: Amen. You would,
2: yeah. yeah, And and you know, with all that implies, it will be, it will be better than okay. Because um, you know, when I look back and I go, would I have wanted her to have one more moment of suffering? Mm-hmm. You know, no. Always remember that. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I was going to, I thought I was going to die. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I wanted to, but I wasn't even like, I wasn't even able to project into the future. You know?
1: Totally. Uh, It's incredible what people are capable of. Like, Mm -hmm. it's incredible Mm -hmm. the things we think we can't do in general. Right. (laughs) Like, and I think just in this. Short time and I wish we had hours longer to talk yeah. this is such a Can we can we talk again? Because this yeah. was just please, amazing. Yeah. Please.
2: Absolutely. We can okay. certainly but we can talk whenever you like.
1: I think yeah. that one thing I hope that people who are listening to the show who may be like lost in grief or who are on a journey with grief or maybe who haven't experienced it yet and are like listening because they wanna kinda be more in touch with what grief is, is that I think that there's this Uh, fear surrounding it and part of the reason why we want to do this show and keep having these conversations is to kind of dismantle the fear around it because it is the most gut-wrenching painful horrifying thing at times but it's surprising to know what you can endure with loss and of any kind and then like who you become after that like you would have never you would have never wished for it to happen that way but like to see what you can do and to know how that can happen, it's the pain never goes away. Obviously, but um, you'll surprise yourself. I think often knowing what what the human spirit can actually endure, supreme absolutely.
3: supreme human experience,
1: birth yeah. and death.
2: Abs- yeah. um, absolutely. I think you know I've gone through a couple of cycles where. Um, I almost didn't want the pain to go away because it was, really? in a lot of respects, it was all I had of her. It's
3: Exactly. I say that all the time. Well, maybe we can have this conversation at another time, but I call it the trapeze. And it's very mm-hmm. interesting because you're letting go of their presence. And there's this abyss in between, and you don't know if there will be that internal relationship later on. And it, So you want to hold on to the all the grief because that's all yeah. you have. I really agree yeah. with what you're saying, yeah.
1: And I think yeah. it's okay to hold on to some of the pain too. You know what I mean. And like, yeah. I think it's we don't like, have to
3: let go of everything. We have yeah. a lot of stuff we hold on to.
1: Yeah, we don't have to let go of everything. That's a really good point, Bobby. And it mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're not mm-hmm. quote healed, whatever that means to society or to us. Like, if, if you're yeah. if you continue to like, you know, I had I had recently been dating somebody who had. Been afraid by my grief, I think a bit. What you know from my dad, and like I talk about my dad all the time. I'm not afraid to talk about him, and I feel like I have a healthy relationship with the loss. But you know, this person couldn't couldn't handle it. I think it's because it scared them, or because there's some idea that after X amount of time passes, maybe you're not supposed to think about this or talk about this as much, or that like you're healed when it goes away. And I think it's okay to just accept that, like, you know it may never go away and you're just changed,
2: you know? And I think but, like, but people, it changes,
1: it changes. It definitely changes. But yeah, it, I, I think yeah. that's the
2: thing that's always been scary to me is like, you know, um, w- what do I think healed would be and would I want to be that? Because totally. that to me sounds like, um, you're no longer affected by that life that you had together.
3: You know, it's like time traveling, you know? It's the same kind of thing, experience of, you know? We always have our, everything weaves in. It's all a part of us. It's not something that's here, starts, it's over. That's not, it's a part of our fabric now, you know?
1: Actually, uh, Anna Dunn actually had described grieving like an Ouroboros. So like the snake eating its tail. It never fully ever, you know, begins and ends. It's kind of just this thing that's like always... Scotty. There's, Anna.
2: There's Anna being a genius again. Oh my God, they are a
1: genius. I love them to death. They're amazing. Um, yep. Sky, it was like beyond wonderful to chat with you. And we had been meant to chat when you were in New York and you were going to come into the studio when people still got to see each other face to face. But uh, <laughs>
2: Back in the old days. <laughs> back in
1: the old days of yesteryear. But man, this was just such a real delight. And you're just such a wonderful, bright, shining beam of light of a human being and it was just really touching to speak to you and thank you for sharing with about your beautiful relationship and being so vulnerable and it was really really wonderful
2: oh wow thank you um um i'm out of words yeah.
3: No, it's, well it's we make funny. a toast to love yeah toast yes, to love and to marcy to and you know yes.
1: i know it like t- we ask people to come and join us for the show and like talk about these experiences that were just like and traumatic sometimes and just it's a lot to like bring up right to be and where you are now it's 9 30 in the morning or now maybe it's closer <laughs> to 11 but like a really earnest thank you because it's not just like you know a lot of people have guests on pod there are tons of podcasts now nowadays but like we really take seriously what it means for yes. someone to like come and talk about such a deeply significant painful loss and like what those feelings bring up for you so deeply thank you for to, for taking that out of your you know that emotional uh lift heavy lifting this morning yeah
2: well well thank you thank <laughs> you really thanks for doing it. this i think um, it, I, I hope it helps people of
1: you know. course mm-hmm. i think it does thank you so much scotty and enjoy the rest of your day and we will connect soon i this will not be the last time we talk cause okay no <laughs> i just <laughs> want to talk to you more and more <laughs>
2: take <Okay>. care <laughs> thank you all right bye bye
1: Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.